This show is an ultimate podcast group production. Hey, this is Live Better with Natasha with me, Natasha Hamilton. This podcast is all about exploring your mental, physical and spiritual wellness. Live Better with Natasha is for anyone who is looking to broaden their horizons with their wellness, who want to heal, they want to grow, and they want to feel on top of the freaking world. Hello, Natasha Hamilton here, and welcome back to the Live Better with Natasha podcast. So I'm feeling incredibly honored today because we have a fantastic human who is coming to share his life story and a male perspective on mental health, um, life after a very successful professional career, and his transition into, should we say, the real world. (laughs) I feel really drawn to uh, this person's story because I feel like it has a lot of parallels with my life being a professional singer with Atomic Kitten and transitioning into just being a mum, trying to figure out, you know, how to lead a life away from uh, the fame and the public eye. So please welcome to the podcast today, Rory Pittman. Hey, Rory, how are you? Hi, how are you? I'm amazing, you? I'm really, really good, and I'm I'm so happy that you've come to speak with us today, because this year has been crazy, and it's been a massive drain on people's well-being, physical, emotional, spiritual, like all of it. Everyone has been put into a position where they feel like the back's up against the wall. They're having to pivot. They don't know where their income's coming. Uh, this has been a lot of stress and this year has seen a lot of men coming forward and speaking out, speaking their truth and sharing their stories in the hope to help other men out there. Yeah, no, first of all, thank you for inviting me. Um, You know, it really does mean a lot and uh, I enjoy obviously hearing you speak and when you're chatting with Callum and all them lot with regarding the ketone side of things, that's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, yeah, having alluded to um, how tough uh, 20, uh, this well this year has been for everybody. Um, yeah, it's, it's sad to see the way things have gone. But as you said, we're all just trying to stay safe, look after our families at the moment, look after each other. Um, but sadly, um, mental health and uh, male suicide especially over the last few months has uh, um, you know predominantly been on the news and kind of been at the forefront and it's it's sad to see how things are going and um, yeah hopefully if we can give a little bit of education around this and um, a few tools on how to help you know maybe we can push a few people in the right direction and um, raise a little awareness of um, what's going on. Absolutely. Totally feel you there. And for me personally, there's been something close to home happen um, regarding this situation. So I feel like now is an even more important time to talk and tell your story. So for people who don't know who you are, Rory, listening to the podcast today, uh, I'm just going to give a little bit of a backstory. So Rory entered the world of professional rugby at the age of 18. He's played for the likes of Wasps, Scarlets, Ospreys, Wales Under 20 and Doncaster Knights. And he has experienced the highs and the lows that comes with being a professional rugby player. 
tell me how was life like you're literally like what you've just left school and all of a sudden you're like this professional athlete yeah it's pretty pretty amazing to be honest you kind of in school uh, not listening because you kind of know that's the, the route you want to go down um having a lot of attention from clubs parents friends family everyone telling you you're going to be this next big thing uh, everyone, everything going in the right direction for me and it seemed to work so left school straight away ended up going in with the Ospreys uh, amazing club at the time had the biggest players in Europe some of the biggest names uh, Gavin Henson uh, Lee Byrne you know all, all these massive uh, players and it truly was um, an amazing start to life I guess but also a real eye-opener into how the world works. You go from being a small-town boy in school to turning up every day, seeing these guys in their big Mercs, BMs, um, having the best clothing, having the women, um, the booze, um, everything else. Yeah, it was a huge eye-opener at, uh, at 17, 18 years old. How difficult was it for you to keep on the straight and narrow? Because for me, <laughs> like I was a singer and it was almost part of the territory that we go out, we go to the clubs, we are seen to be having this like fantastic lifestyle. Like it was, it was almost like it came with the territory. We were totally encouraged to just go out, be those young kids living this crazy dream. How was it for you though? Because like you're having to turn up for work in the morning, yet you've got all the uh, temptation of all the other bits out there. Well, in Wales, rugby is everything. So there's no way you could do it. I was trying to be the next big thing, train hard, play well, but also at the same time, having all these temptations around me, being invited out on weekends, um, you know, then you, it would turn into a midweek. So you'd end up going out on Wednesday, hangover on Thursday, uh, team run Friday, play Saturday, go out again, hangover, and trying to facilitate all these things. There were, the, the women, the kind of, you, you know, you want to be one of the guys, so you kind of get into this vicious, <laughs> vicious circle then. Um, and it really was uh, challenging because you learn so many lessons along the way, but no one tells you how to cope with having a lot of money at that age or having all these things thrown at you. So you're kind of trying to look up and see these um, sort of role models, but they are the ones behaving in, in that manner. And it's like, what, well, you know, what am I meant to do? So I, it took a few years, uh, and I mean a few years, uh, and I still didn't figure stuff out. So um, mm. it, it really took me to having children to kind of figure out that you can't live life like, like that. If you burn the candle at both ends, you know, it's going to come crashing down at some point. Absolutely. And it's difficult as well, because at the age of 18, you've got most of your friends in uni or, you know, college, whatever. And they're like, got fresh as week and they're going out every weekend and they haven't got a care in the world. Yet you're a professional at what you do. You're, you're on the TV. You're, you know, you're in the newspaper. You're scrutinised um, within an inch of your life. And all of a sudden it's like this lifestyle that you thought was going to bring you all these joys becomes a very small world where you you kind of almost like there's a you have a little bit of safety 
And I think outside of that, you just know it's danger. And <laughs> I, th- you know, it becomes quite difficult to navigate, doesn't it? Very much so. And I think the, the hardest thing in Wales is that if you're a rugby player and you go out and everything else, everybody wants to kind of be your friend. Uh, it's probably the same as being like, like you say, an artist, a recording artist and everything like that. And everyone wants to be your friend. And it's great at the time, but then as soon as you do something wrong, say like, uh, and believe me, I've done a lot of things wrong, getting drunk, um, you know, uh, getting into fights, causing rows, um, all these different things. You'd go in Monday morning and the dread of someone would have phoned the club and said, um, you know, Rory was uh, drunk in my bar. He's been sick everywhere. Um, he's refused to clean it up. Um, you know, then he's, and, and these types of things. But then hearing back what you'd actually had done was, it was you're kind of thinking, oh, I can't believe I've, you know, I've let everyone down. I let myself down. But then next weekend, you go out and do exactly the same thing again. So it was kind of like this vicious circle mm. of everyone blowing smoke up your ass, so to speak. Um, friends, you know, um, texting you all these, uh, oh, you played amazing, you, you, you know, Twitter then and all these social media come into it. Then, you know, you really do believe your own hype. And then it's like, yeah, I'm pretty good. And then it, it just kind of puts you into this false sense of security that you can kind of get away with stuff you you, you really can't get away with. Um, and when you're at that level, no matter what profession you're in, people want to pull you down. And, and believe me, I, I've given them enough ammunition to do that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. You know yourself, it's so tough. Do you feel like you were doing it because it's something you wanted to do or you felt like it was expected of you and the more attention you got for doing bad things, it was almost like a, did it give you like a buzz or did you always, were you on the opposite side thinking, don't really want to do this, but it makes me look good? I think for me, it was a case of, I've always been like the kind of joker and the one to have fun and everything else. And at the time, I didn't mind playing to that tune. But over the last few years, I found myself apologising and making amends for all the damage damage I'd done when I was younger. Don't get me wrong, I didn't kill anyone or steal and do all these things and, and, and be a you know real horrible person. But I did let a lot of people down who put faith in me. I, um, you know, I did go out and, and um, piss a lot of opportunities away uh, by, go, you know, going drinking, um, not recovering properly after games, eating rubbish, um, kind of almost self-sabotaging myself. Um, because, like you say, you kind of get into this place where it's like, right, well, if you all want to drag me down, I'll just do it myself. And... That is the hardest thing then, because once you start to get down on yourself and you start to get into your own head and and you can't even, when you wake up, it's like no positive energy. There's no looking forward to the day because you know what's coming, right? Well, I've got to go training all day. Uh, then, you know, I'll, I'll kind of get um, um, knocked about in training. Then I'll finish for the day, um, do it again tomorrow, then play a game on a Saturday. Everyone will clap. But then afterwards, it doesn't actually mean anything. And when you start to get in, when I started to get into that mode, that's when things, you know, started to kind of really go downhill for me because 
then you're looking for other avenues away from there to get excitement. So for me, you know, it was like, like I say, going out, um, gambling, um, women, but nothing ever makes you happy doing them things, but you kind of, you, you, you're searching for something. It's like you're empty. And, um, you know, when I was 20 years old, like you, we said, but I lost my best friend um, he, to suicide. Um, and I was just about to play a game, had a phone call, and um, basically they told me that um, my best friend, Andrew Evans, had uh, hung himself. So you can imagine at 20 years old, hearing that on a phone. I mean, like I've got my headphones in before game, just about to play, bang. And then I'm still expected to play a game of rugby. So it's like, wow, okay. So these people know what I've just, what I've just heard on the phone. They can see me sobbing, but then they want me to go out and still play rugby. Mm. So then you realise that they don't care about you. Uh, they don't, you know, care about your welfare. They don't care about your mental health. They don't care about any of that. All they want to do is for you to go out there and basically throw yourself around because they're paying you money. And then, well, you start to get resentful. Uh, you hate what you're doing. And like I say, it just, that's, yeah, you end up on a, on a slippery slope then. And at 20 years old, that's what happened for me anyway. You know, and I was on a lot of money and stuff and I, and I had it all. But I had, uh, you know, a kind of catalogue of these things happen. And, um, yeah, it just, it, it just doesn't, it, I, I had no help on, on nothing at that time. As you can imagine, think of where we are now um, with regards to mental health. This was 10 years ago. There was nothing. So was that a pivotal point in your career when that happened? Definitely. I tried to get away from it. Uh, went to Glasgow and I uh, went to, to New Zealand to get away from it. Went to Glasgow and nothing worked. If anything, it just made me wor- worse because I, I would kind of isolate myself. And then as stupid as this sounds, I wouldn't want to make friends. I'd make friends and I, 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 I've got so many friends from Glasgow and everything else. But I never, ever let myself get too close because I was absolutely heartbroken of losing my best friend. And it kind of, I just had this barrier of, I can't love anyone like I loved him. Do you know what I mean? And you you pull yourself away, you're reserved. um, And yeah, you kind of find yourself being a different person. And that's what I found was, uh, especially as soon as I had a drink or anything like that, I'd just get emotional and um, you'd hear songs and it'd be like, what's wrong with him? You know, and it, it's weird, isn't it? You know, a 20 stone, six foot five bloke, um, you know, dire straits, brothers and arms come on or something and you end up crying. It's like, why am I even crying? Yeah, it's not silly at all. It's grief. And when you don't know how to deal with grief and you're not equipped with the, uh, you know, you don't know how to do that and you're not getting the help that you need, then that's when it all starts to, to boil up inside. Um, obviously, like we look at rugby as you know the big guys, you know they're tough. Yeah. You know you can take on anything. Was there ever any chat at all or any help and support with mental health? At, the, at that age, nothing. Literally, 
and I was acting out, trying to figure out, you know what I mean, like trying to get away from it. And 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 don't get me wrong, some of the stuff I done, a, a lot of the stuff I done was just me being silly, right? Me being acting, acting out. But sometimes it was just like a cry for help. And, you know, you'd go into training, be lethargic, wouldn't have no energy because you'd have these thoughts and feelings. But, you know, your serotonin levels, everything else, if you're... Um, feeling stressed and you know you feel anxious believe me it'll take more energy out of you than any rugby game or any physical activity will ever do so sometimes before I'd even gone into the day I was defeated um, but I still managed to play and this is what like everyone says is how did you how were you managing to play games and be a professional rugby player while you felt like this well to be totally honest with you, I had no other choice simply because I had bills to pay. I didn't really have an education because I always wanted to be a rugby player. So what are the options? It was either come home and try and, I don't know, get a, get a normal job like everybody else. But then that perception of people looking at me and thinking, oh, Rory Pittman, no, he's working in Tesco's now, is he? I could never let anyone, because your ego and everything gets yeah. in the way. You're proud. Honestly, I've been there with, with you know, with thousands, thousands, tens of thousands uh, in the bank. And I've been there with, like, literally nothing to the point where I'm, like, digging around the car for, for to get lunch. But then your ego still won't let you get to the point where it's like, you know, and it's taking me I years. I need to do something about it. And it's taking me years to figure that out. And um, I think it's, like you say, it's... It's a difficult thing to kind of let your ego go and understand your emotions and understand, you know, yeah, I am a man and I'm a rugby player and everything else, but it's okay to feel, I guess. It's okay to um, grieve. It's okay to have a cry. It's okay to, um, you know, go in and have a cut your mom and say, you know, I don't feel right. And uh, these things are okay. Um, but at 21, 22, probably till about 25, I didn't understand that, mm. that that was okay to be able to do those things. Um, but I'm just thankful now that things, again, a little bit better with regards to education, um, people speaking about it, and people a lot more mindful about how they go about things. Because, like you say, um, uh, my best friend ended up, you know, taking his own life because he felt like that. So I would never want anyone to ever feel in that position. Absolutely. And the fact that you're, you know, you're openly telling your story, you're saying to people, look, we all, we, everyone has these life highs and we have the lows, but there is support if you look in the right places, even if it's just listening to podcasts, if it's reading a book, it's talking to your mum or your brother or your friend, you know, there's people out there who will listen and who will support you if you let them. Yeah. How did you transit? Like, what, how did your career come to an end? Did, did you did you say I'm done? No. What what had happened was um, I'd had a child, and um, basically I was living in London, living the dream. Right, um, I was playing for Wasps. Um, always loved Lawrence Delalio, who was the captain of Wasps for years, and got the opportunity to go to Wasps. It was a dream come true. 
And living in London, you know, it's like it was amazing running about, you know, foods, uh, cultures. It was, it was, it was amazing. And for a, for a young man from Wales to be able to do that was, was amazing. So my uh, partner was like uh, coming back and forth. We were making it work. And one day then it's like, right, I'm pregnant. So it's like, right, okay. And then obviously you kind of have to grow up really quick. So I needed to go back to Wales, uh, obviously be close uh, to my son, Ruben. And um, I had to make it work. So I went home, took a massive pay cut from Wasps, uh, left the dream behind, went back to uh, to the valley, so to speak. And um, everyone had kind of, everyone knew, knew that who I was and stuff at, at, the, at this club, the Scarlets. But I don't think they knew how hungry I was at that time. And when you see your child in front of you, it just kind of gave me this different energy and this different um, outlook on life. So I was so hungry to give this, you know, give this boy everything. And I wanted him in the nicest clothes and I wanted to make sure that he had a good life. And then for me, it wasn't about me anymore. It was about him. So I went to this club the Llanethi, they, they call the Scarlets. And it's a really um, historical club in Wales. It has some wonderful fans, uh, everything else. And I just worked so hard, grafted, grafted, grafted. And when the games come, it just seemed to happen for me. Man of the match, man of the match, man of the match. Um, you know, performance, performance, performance. Next thing you know, you're in the office, you're signing a two-year deal. This is after like three or four months, which is unheard of in really sport. New contract, two years, bang. And then it was just like, wow, this is really happening for me. Um, and everything seemed to be working out. But then I'd find myself isolating myself sometimes or negative thoughts creeping into to, to my head and... And I, I couldn't understand what was wrong with me. And I was like, why am I feeling like this? I was like, I literally have everything. I was like, I am, you know, I, I, I'm basically the best um, number eight uh, in Wales at the moment. And believe me, uh, there's a guy who plays for Wales now who um, he, he was, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's an amazing player. But at, that, at this time, I was being talked about. I was, right, this guy's the next number eight for Wales, next number eight for Wales. And I had everything. But I just started to feel these emotions and these feelings and I would find myself doing stupid stuff like making up excuses to go out on the piss and making up lies and um, being deceitful not to come home. So then, you know, I started gambling again and all these little things. And I was thinking, you know, I just couldn't get away from myself. And believe me, I was still managing to play and doing all these different things. But it was, it was draining, so draining. And you'd go into games, and do you know what they would? So uh, you, when they kick the ball off, my mind would be telling me, "You're going to drop this. You're going to drop this. You're going to drop this." And, and I'd be like, "I didn't want to th- feel like this. I didn't want to think like this." And they'd be like, "You put a jersey on, right?" And I know women think like this all the time, but I'd put a jersey on, and I think, "Jesus Christ, you look fat. Uh, you, you look fat. You look overweight." Uh, and then that automatically would send my mood so low I would be lethargic 
And, you know, I would just get so down on myself. And um, I had no need to because I had everything. And, uh, you know, I had a lovely car, house, all these things. And you could see it just people didn't understand me at the time and didn't understand why I had all these things, but I still was was like this. And then you start... Because if, if you don't love yourself truly... And you aren't, how can you give to anything else? Like you've got to really own your, your shit, like your past, the decisions you've made, whether the the good, the bad and the ugly, but all that, it's like a resentment, isn't it? Towards everything that has happened in your life, either whether you've brought it in or external factors Um, and it sits with you and it kind of burrows deeper and deeper and deeper. And I know this firsthand because I've been in exactly the same position at the height of my career with, you know, I just had a baby. We had number one album in the charts, number one single, sellout tours. Yeah, I was crying every day. You know, I was drinking too much to numb the pain of feeling unhappy because I was like, why on earth? I'm like one of the biggest pop stars in the world. Yeah, I'm miserable because I wasn't getting what I wanted and I wasn't doing what I wanted, which was time with my kid. I just wanted to be seen as a normal person, do normal things without the stress and everything else. And, you know, this is mental health. It doesn't matter how much money's in your bank. It doesn't matter what clothes you wear. It doesn't matter you know, your status in life, you know, it's a hormone imbalance. It's deep-rooted issues that need tackling and only you can start to put them right. You know, no amount of drink or drugs or girls or gambling, whatever, none of that is ever going to cure what you need. And what you need is a freaking big hug that says it's okay. Yeah. Like, it's okay I, I to feel that way. I never got that. And do you know what? If anything, and I, I won't name names because when I look back at it, I probably could have helped myself a lot better. But what they did, they they made me hate coming into work every day. So obviously when you're in that kind of mode, I was eating rubbish all the time. So then I'd gain weight. And then, you know, I'm a big guy anyway. But I remember, you know, like, for, it's, it's kind of weird to see a guy who is 20 stone but hasn't got a big belly or anything like that. But then they'd be like, how are you uh, four kilos up? How are you three, four, five kilos up? And I'd have to explain myself and, and do all these things. And then I'd have to lie about my weight all the time and hide, you know, coming in the morning with the scales, hide my weight, not show the real... Um, uh, weight feelings, so you would have an RP, you'd have to write down sleep quality, how you felt, recovery, all these things. I just completely lie. Mm. And then they would come down on me harder and harder and harder to make me come in at six o'clock in the morning and run more, to segregate me away from the team and everything else. So instead of the help that you needed, you were getting penalised even more? Yeah. My agent, who I had a wonderful relationship with for years and years and years, um, started to not answer the phone. Um, I was telling him how I was feeling. I was crying to him, telling him how I was feeling. And he basically wouldn't know how to deal with it and would, would be like, 
oh, I'll call you back and, and just wouldn't call me back. Um, and mind you now, he was happy to take all this money from me contract-wise and stuff. But And don't get me wrong, I didn't help myself and I, I could have gone about things in a different way. But when your mindset is is so low and you don't care about yourself, how are you meant to do anything else other than you know, keep going down this, down this nasty road. And it just got out of control, to be honest, to the point where there was prescription drugs every other night, probably every night with regards to sleeping pills, uh, Zepain, um, Cocodoma, or, you know, like proper, probably seven or eight pills to kind of get off to sleep. Then you'd wake up drowsy and everything else. So it'd take hours to come back around. Um mm. Then the weekends, there was alcohol and everything else. I would never really one. I never did drugs and also like uh, obviously cannabis, but that, that was in like different forms of like uh, oils and stuff. But who was, when you say you're taking lots of pills and stuff, who was giving you the pills? Well, to be totally honest with you, in, in sport back all them years ago, if you said, uh, I'm so, you know, I need this you just get an injection or you'd get the pills anyway. So this is something that's going to come out down the line with regards to players anyway. But player welfare was totally out the window. It was about making you be able to play the next game. And this is something, you know, people like James Haskell and people speak openly about is about uh, prescription drugs, painkillers and everything else. I mean, if I couldn't play on the weekend, the coach wouldn't speak to you for a start. Um, They would, probably blank you, call you uh, a soft, um, you can imagine what they'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it was just like being in that environment then, it was like your whole world had ended because it's like, why is the coach doing this? Or if your contract was up for a renewal and you couldn't play in the next few games, do you think he was going to get a new contract? Or do you think they would use you having a new contract as a tool? 100% that that was, well, look, you know, if you can't play and you're not willing to go through the pain barrier, then, you know, it's no real, not really in our benefit us keeping you. And then. Yeah, wow. So it's, it's that whole um, Dr. Feelgood situation. You've got it in Hollywood with the actors. You've got it in the sports world and you've got it in the world of music. You know, I know there was times when I was literally like, I cannot physically do any I can't give anything else and before I knew it there'd be a doctor at my door and I'd be getting an uh, injection of b12 or whatever and I'd be getting these tablets and I'd be getting a freaking suppository true story (laughs) (laughs) you know I'd be given all these things and it would be you have to do it we went on tour in Southeast Asia and I ended up in hospital um with some kind of infection I, I mean when I say I was ill uh, uh, to be honest, I don't, it was like some kind. It, I couldn't, I couldn't lift my head off the pillow. I couldn't walk. I, I, I had no energy. I was shivering. I was vomiting. I don't know what was wrong with me. And I was on drips in hospital. And I had people coming in saying, "Well, we've got an MTV Asia gig that goes out to like billions of people, or millions, billions. I don't know. A lot of people." You have to do it. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm in hospital. And they wheeled me out of hospital. They pumped me full of God knows what to do this show where I was 
I actually almost passed out in sound check because it was that hot. I had, you know, I'd not eaten for days. I had nothing to give. <laughs> it, it was literally the show will go on. You will be there. Um, so I, I, I understand how that feels to be in a situation where you don't get the time off you need to recover, whether it's physically, mentally, whatever. You're just not giving it. How wrong is that? I mean, for, for you, for them to almost like put you in that position where your health means nothing and your mental well-being means nothing. It's all about going through with the performance to be able to make sure that they get paid and that, you know, these other people get paid and that no one goes away from their happy, that they're willing to sacrifice you to, to do that. I mean... Yes, we always got threatened with, you're going to get sued. If you don't do this, there will be legal action against you. You're going to get sued for millions. And then it was like, well, I don't, I don't have that money and I have a child. So, you know, I will be there. I've had someone um, hold my passport. that They wouldn't give me my passport because I said, I'm going home when my son was sick. Really? They wouldn't give, yeah, like, they, wow. I couldn't leave the country because they wouldn't give me my passport. Like, Crazy, crazy stuff. Do you know, I've, I've been in similar positions before where they'd be, it'd either be a case of you're not going to get a new contract or um, the other thing was, so say I'm leaving one club to go to, an, uh, to, to, go to the next club. Mm-hmm. And I've had the coach say to me, um, if you don't play this weekend... I'm going to ring that coach and I'm going to tell them a few home truths about you. And you'd be like, well, carry on. What are you going to tell them? And then he'd be like, well, try me and find out. And then you're thinking in your head, well, can I actually afford to risk this? Mm. Can I afford for this not to happen? And it's like, honestly, this this so the same as you guys. And, and we say you'd go out on night out and you'd bump into people who were singers, uh, actors and everything else, you'd always find that, mind that we'd all be trying to kind of, everybody's looking for, you know, to just get away from it, whether, you know, have a drink, get away from it, enjoy, because you don't get it often, but when you do get it, then it's like, I got to go hard, yeah. And then you drink too much, <laughs> you know, you, you enjoy too much. And then it ends yeah. up, like, don't get me wrong, I, it's nowhere near your level and it's nowhere near the prob- the, the scrutiny that you've been under. But as you can imagine, coming in from a weekend, it's like um, Rory in the office. Uh, I know you were in, um, you know, um, sacks on the weekend and um, you were peeing up against the bar. Um, that's a £500 fine. Uh, I want it paid now. And also, you know, you know so... If we had things like that, I can't imagine what you guys... um, I definitely didn't pee up against the bar, Rory. (laughs) No, well, that's, you know, that's... um, that's, I can't remember doing it either, so don't don't quote me on that. But, uh, you you know, it's just so tough. It's just so tough. It is. It is. I mean, it, this is the thing. It's a it's a beautiful thing when it's going your way, but then when you're struggling and you're looking for those different outlets to numb the pain, you know, it becomes a real issue. So how like how did you go from the struggle to 
to bring in together what you have, which is an amazing um, organization called Ahead of the Game. So tell us a little bit more about this. So I, I left, I, when I left the Sky, I never wanted to see a rugby pitch again. And, and I kind of was uh, bitter, really bitter with, ev- with everything. But I, as I went away from there and time went on, I started to realise a few things that no one was going to care. N- nobody cared if I, you know, if I never played again. No one would care if I cried. No one would care about me whinging. So I thought, well, do you know what? I'm going to make the best of my life and I'm going to make it work for me. And as long as my boy and everyone looks at me and, and is, do you know what, Dad, I'm really proud of you and what you've achieved. That was what I focused on. So I went away, I, went away, I started my own little calf and did all these little things and started helping out, um, you know, local rugby and, and these things and, and kind of found a little bit of love for myself and a love for the game. And I learned how to grieve and how to kind of leave my past behind me with my friend and don't get me wrong, he's still in my heart every day, but I, I learned how to kind of separate it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I just focused completely on myself and I thought, this isn't me. This isn't the real Rory. The real Rory is, uh, you know, a happy guy who would do anything for anyone if he could and will help anyone. And I didn't want to be this kind of, sad, you know, lonely guy. And um, it just took time working on myself, um, getting help, um, speaking to the right people. That is so important. Um, again, no, I had to pay for that out of my own pocket and that cost a lot of money as well. I uh, ran into thousands, to be honest with you, because you know, you, well, you being yourself, how you meant to, the NHS and everything like that is inundated with people needing advice, help. They're struggling. So to get that help, I needed to go down the private route and it cost money. Um, and yeah, it just took me a while, but I learned to write things down. I learned that if yesterday wasn't great, why wasn't it great? Well, Rory, you didn't help yourself. You uh, had a great start of the day, but in the afternoon you ate rubbish. Then you didn't go to the gym like you always do. Then my structure went away. So I figured out these little things that would help me keep in structure, keep in exercise massively up there, nutrition massively up there. And these little things started to build into massive foundations for me. And I went back and started playing rugby at a lower level. And then the phone starts going again and people want to, are you okay, Rory? Are you fixed? Well, I'm not fixed, but I'm in a lot better place than I was, uh, you know, this time last year. Do you fancy coming to play? Well, you know, and then you get these little offers, then you go. And it just seemed to get better and better and better for me. And look, don't get me wrong. There's some days I just can't, I lay there and I'm like, I can't be bothered today. But then I think back of how far I've come and I look at myself and I think, well, do you know what? We got to that point before and we realized that wasn't for us. So let's get a coffee in us, you know, let's get up, let's get a little bit of energy, let's brush your teeth, shower, let's get the clothes on and let's get moving. And as soon as I do that, I'm automatically you know, in that good place. So for me, 
it's just about keep on reminding myself that, you know, okay, if we want to, if we want to get to our goals, and obviously I got goals with the head of the game, um, mental health and sport. My my goal is to make sure that everyone from grassroots boy or girl to elite level sport has help with mental health, whether it be um, access to the right people, um, access to nutrition, physical activity, to all these different things. If you haven't got kit, but you want to play rugby, we want to make sure that you get that pair of boots, that you have someone there to watch you on a weekend who's going to care about what you're doing. You know, all these little things. And that is my passion and my drive. So I may get lost along the way and I may mess a few things up and everything else, but believe me, by the time um, I am done with... um, you know, everything, I know that ahead of the game will be such a good thing for not only people in Wales, but hopefully, um, you know, the whole nation really, where if you play sport and you need help and you're struggling to deal with things, then we will be there for you. We will help you and we will be able to give you those little tools that you need to be the best version you can be and to have the best future that you can see for yourself. And I think, that's what makes me, you know, happy. And that's what keeps me going every day. And I can see that because I'm watching you now as you're talking and you literally lit up when you were talking about ahead of the game. I think what you're giving back is absolutely important, beautiful, crucial. And I wish you all the success in the world with it. Not that you need it. And I just think it's really It's a really poignant time to say that mental health is a working progress. It is a little bit of dedication towards it every single day. Don't make plans too big that you feel overwhelmed. Like if you're having that day when you wake up and you feel like, oh, I'm not feeling it. I don't know what I want to do. And you feel like you might a bit of self-sabotage might be coming in. Take baby steps. Get up get in the shower, have that cup of tea or coffee or a ketone, even better. (laughs) And, you know, just take baby steps. Do you know what, guys? It's okay not to feel okay. It's okay to have a down day. It doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean it's going to be that way all the time. It just means you need a little day off life and that's okay. Rory, thank you so much for being so honest and open with your story. I wish you all the best in the world. and Thank you so much for being with us today. No, thank you again. And um, like I say, uh, keep inspiring people, keep helping people. And uh, yeah, if we help one person today, then we would have done amazing. So thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Live Better with Natasha. If you have enjoyed the show, please give it a five-star review on whichever platform you get your podcasts. It helps us more than you can imagine to reach more people and share important lessons and conversations about mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. You can also connect with Natasha and become part of the Live Better movement right now by clicking the link in the show notes. If you're serious about scaling your personal or business brand, then you need to be producing audio. Yes, you need a podcast. Podcasting is exploding right now and means that you can reach a global audience, be seen as the expert in your marketplace, collaborate with world-renowned influencers, turn followers, fans, and listeners into paying clients, and open up a world of opportunities. So when you're ready to add the power of podcasting for your brand and business, check out the Ultimate Podcast Group, the team that make this 
this very podcast. Ultimate Podcast Group, your one-stop full-service agency for all your production needs. For more information, click the link in the show notes now.